Welcome to Music History Monday for September 26, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Bella Bartok's American Exile. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on September 26, 1945, 77 years ago today, of the pianist, composer, and Hungarian patriot, Bela Bartók. Born in what was then the Hungarian town of Nagy St. Miklós, now St. Nicolo Mare in Romania, on March 25, 1881, Bartók died during what he called his comfortable exile in New York City. Before moving on to Bartók's American exile, let's establish, as we can from our vantage point in 2022, his creds as a great and influential 20th century composer. In 1961, 16 years after Bartok's death, Pierre Boulez, 1925 to 2016, composer, conductor, and in the words of his teacher, Olivier Messiaen, the great insufferable one, wrote this about Bartok's music. We quote, the pieces most applauded are the least good. His best products are loved in their weaker aspects. His work triumphs now through its ambiguity, ambiguity that will surely bring him insults during future evaluation. His work has not the profound unity and novelty of Webern's or the vigorous controlled dynamism of Stravinsky's. His language lacks interior coherence. His name will live on in the limited ensemble of his chamber music." Unquote. Boulez was not just wrong, he was snotty wrong. But the degree of his wrongness has only become apparent in time. You see, Boulez and the modernist community he spoke for rejected Bartok's music because they believed he had copped out, that he had squandered his potential as a compositional radical by employing elements of folk music, tonality, dance rhythms, and classical era forms to create a body of music that was on occasion, heaven forbid, viscerally exciting, and even worse, accessible. Music that employed such dreary and tired things as recognizable thematic melodies, and was expressive in an unabashedly romantic sense. In direct response to Igor Stravinsky's assertion that music in itself is powerless to express anything, Bartok wrote, quote, I cannot conceive of music that expresses absolutely nothing, unquote. The post-World War II modernists considered Bartok to be a dinosaur, an evolutionary dead-end, a romantic nationalist holdover who composed music during the first half of the 20th century that was irredeemably irrelevant to the second half of the 20th century. Thankfully, 
we here in the 21st century know better. And it's not just the fact that it is once again okay for concert music to be fun to listen to, or the fact that from a purely technical point of view, Bartok was one of the most accomplished composers ever to put pencil to paper. No. What truly makes Bartok a composer for the 21st century is the degree to which his music represents a synthesis nearly global in scope. His is a compositional language of purposeful diversity integrated into a singular and singularly personal musical language. Bartok's music offers a model for one of the most pressing issues slash questions facing composers today. In an increasingly global culture, in which diversity and variety are not just buzzwords, but real cultural descriptors, how might a composer go about incorporating and reconciling some aspects of that diversity into an integrated and personalized musical language? Well, here's what Bartok did. He started with impeccable technical credentials. Having finished his training as a pianist and composer at the Royal Academy of Music in Budapest, where he went on to teach as a professor of piano from 1907 to 1939. Youthful infatuations with the music of Richard Strauss and Claude Debussy strengthened his ear for late Romantic German harmonic practice and motivic development and for French timbral nuance. His embrace of Hungarian nationalism in his early twenties led to a lifelong fascination with the indigenous music of not just his native Hungary, but of Eastern and Southeastern Europe, Turkey, and North Africa as well. His immersion in these rich, non-Western European musical environments changed forever the way he perceived melody, harmony, and rhythm. Bartok's enduring affection for the discipline of classical era musical forms manifested itself in music of great structural clarity and precision. Add to this Bartok's rock and roll soul and his deep and moral humanity, and you've got the recipe for a personal musical language of extraordinary breadth, power, and relevance. In a 21st century musical environment, in which so many composers are attempting to reconcile and synthesize something of the incredible diversity of historical and contemporary musical languages around us into a personal musical language, Bartok's music has become the ideal role model. Touché, Monsieur Boulez. How do you like them apples? A Hungarian National Treasure by the 1930s, Bela Bartok was considered a Hungarian national treasure, the greatest Hungarian-born musician since Franz Liszt. He was known internationally as a bold and uncompromising composer and as a brilliant concert pianist. He lived in Budapest, where he was a professor of piano at the Royal Academy. Among his many piano students there were Fritz Reiner, George Schulte, Georgi Shandor, and Lily Krauss. For our information, 
he refused to teach composition, claiming that to do so could only sully his own creative work. Despite his fame, Bartok was a quiet, dignified man of remarkable moral conviction and strength. His student, Giza Frid, remembered him this way, quote, The most striking feature of Bartok's personality was his unimpeachable integrity. He was obsessed with truth and justice, regardless of how he himself or others were affected by the outcome no matter whether the issue was friends or relatives, piano playing or teaching, folk music or composition, theory or practice, finances or politics, he accepted no compromises, even if this was detrimental to his career." Unquote. These guys. In the third of the Indiana Jones movies, Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade, Dr. Jones, played by Harrison Ford, in search of his father, played by Sean Connery, talks his way into a schloss called the Castle Brunwald on the Austrian-German border. Looking down from a balcony, Jones sees a military headquarters room filled with uniformed national socialists. Jones turns and says, Nazis! I hate these guys. It was a sentiment with which Bartok would have agreed entirely. He felt nothing but revulsion for what he called, quote, the Nazi poison, unquote. During the 1920s and early 1930s, he spent a significant portion of his career as a concert pianist in Germany, where he was an audience favorite. On January 23rd, 1933, Bartok premiered his own piano concerto number two in Frankfurt with the Frankfurt Radio Symphony Orchestra conducted by Hans Rosbaud. The premiere was well received, but seven days later, on January 30, 1930, Adolf Hitler was appointed German Chancellor, the head of the German government. Bartok swore never again to perform in Germany for as long as the Nazis were in power, and he never set foot in Germany again. In 1937, he was appalled when Hungary signed a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. Following the German annexation of Austria in March of 1938, Bartok realized that Hungary's days of freedom were numbered as well. In a letter to his friend and patron, Paul Socker, he wrote, quote, There is the imminent danger that Hungary will also surrender to this system of robbery and murder. How I could then continue to live or work in such a country is inconceivable, unquote. Bartok was 57 years old at the time of the German annexation of Austria, what the Germans called the Anschluss, meaning the joining, and he was not in the best of health. His mother was quite ill, and he was the sole support for his own wife and children. Nevertheless, he made up his mind to leave Hungary as soon as he possibly could. That time came immediately after his mother died in December of 1939, three months after Germany invaded Poland, 
initiating the European phase of World War II. Immediately before leaving Hungary, Bartok wrote out his will, in which the following paragraph made clear his reasons for leaving. Quote, if after my death they want to name a street after me, or to erect a memorial tablet to me in a public place, then my desire is this. As long as what were formerly Octagonter and Koront in Budapest are named after those men for whom they are at present named, meaning Hitler and Mussolini, and further, as long as there is in Hungary any square or street named for those two men, then neither square nor street nor public building in Hungary is to be named for me, and no memorial tablet is to be erected in a public place." Unquote. With his wife Dita and his youngest son Peter in tow, Bartok left Hungary and, braving wartime travel, arrived in New York City in early 1940. By leaving his beloved Hungary, this unimpeachably moral man walked the walk. As a Hungarian national celebrity, he could have comfortably remained in Budapest, but he chose instead the difficult and uncertain life of a political refugee. He never looked back, and sadly, he never returned home, at least not while he was still alive. Bartok and his family arrived in New York City with what little they could carry with them. In dire financial straits, Bartok was approached by the American composer and educator Randall Thompson, 1899-1984, who offered him a position teaching composition just one day a week at the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. True to form, Bartok rejected the offer. Thompson recalled, quote, Bartok listened to my offer and then in that gentle, almost Franciscan manner, he declined categorically, saying that he could not and never wanted to teach composition. He said that to teach composition was to imperil his own composing. It was as though he wanted to keep that side of his nature unspoiled by any burden of pedagogy." Unquote. Instead, Bartok was appointed to a position at Columbia University, where he continued his research work on Eastern European and North African folk music. One of Bartok's first American residences was an apartment at 110 73rd Road in Forest Hills in New York City's Borough of Queens. FYI, it's an apartment building just off Queens Boulevard and just a few blocks away from where my paternal grandparents lived when I was a kid at 6643 Saunders Street in Regal Park. On Christmas Eve 1940, almost a year after having arrived in the United States, Bartok wrote a delightful letter to his elder sons back in Budapest, chronicling his life in Forest Hills. Quote, on December 7, we moved into a furnished apartment at the above address. It is 16 kilometers from the center of New York, but the subway express station is in front of our door, so that for five cents we can be in the city in 20 minutes at any time. 
trains run constantly, day and night, without interruption. There are shops and conveniences nearby. The heating is so excessive that we have to turn off three-quarters of the radiators. We keep one of the bedroom windows wide open if there's no wind. We are beginning to become Americanized in the matter of food. In the morning, grapefruit, puffed wheat with an exclamation mark, with cream, brown bread and butter, eggs or bacon or fish. My head is filling up with all sorts of new words. Subway stations, street names, subway system plans, a mass of possibilities for changing trains, absolute necessities in order to live here. We've had enough trouble learning to cope with various gadgets of the electric, gas, corkscrew, can opener type, etc., and with means of transportation. Only once in a while is there any inconvenience. For instance, we recently wanted to take the subway to New York's southernmost part. I didn't know exactly where to change to what. The directions aren't much in evidence. In fact, they are sparse and muddled, so that we jaunted around for nearly three hours under the ground. Finally, our time having run out, we sneaked shamefacedly home, underground of course, without having achieved our purpose." Unquote. It was sometime in 1941 that Bartok contracted leukemia. And although the disease wasn't diagnosed until the summer of 1943, he never felt well again. He was a small man to start with, and by mid-1943 his weight had dropped to 87 pounds. Nevertheless, in his last two years, between 1943 and 1945, he managed to compose his concerto for orchestra, the sonata for solo violin, the piano concerto number three, and the concerto for viola and orchestra, the latter left unfinished at his death. Dying of leukemia, exiled from home, unsure of the fate of his family back in Hungary, Bartok found the strength and will to create truly amazing music to the end. What an artist! And what a man! His last American apartment was at 309 West 57th Street, just west of 8th Avenue, a block away from both Carnegie Hall and Columbus Circle. Today, the building's front door is flanked on the right by a bust of Bartok and a plaque commemorating his occupancy. It was there that he lived in comfortable exile, as he would say, and it was at Manhattan's West Side Hospital that he died on the morning of September 26, 1945, 77 years ago today. For our information, the West Side Hospital no longer exists. It went bankrupt in 1947. The inpatient department where Bartok died was located at 57 West 57th Street, at the northeast corner of 6th Avenue. Had he been healthy, Bartok could easily have walked the two blocks to the hospital from his apartment at 309 West 57th Street. He was buried 
at Ferncliff Cemetery in New York's Westchester County, where he remained for 43 years. Finally, in 1988, Bela Bartok returned home to Hungary. He received a long-delayed state funeral and is interred in a grave of honor at Budapest's Farkasreti Cemetery, plot number 470, for those so inclined to visit. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.